Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville invites guests to make family memories this fall. Located in downtown Bentonville, Crystal Bridges features a full calendar of family events and experiences, from art exhibitions to 120 acres of Ozark Forest with five miles of trails. Admission is free to the public. More at crystalbridges.org. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season December 9th with two performances of its annual Christmas concert at Walton Arts Center. Performing a mix of holiday favorites under the baton of maestro Paul Haas, musicians will also be joined on stage by the Sona singers and other guests. Tickets at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. Good Wednesday. This is Ozarks at Large for November 15th, 2023. Ozarks at Large, a production, 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. It is America Recycles Day. Later this hour, honoring the life of an Arkansas publishing giant, John H. Johnson, the man who started both Ebony and Jet magazines, Raven Cook as a synopsis of his life and his career in our second half hour. First, there are several types of assistance animals, service, facility, therapy, and emotional support. What's the difference and why do those differences matter? Ozarks at Large's Victoria Hernandez spoke with animal owners and trainers, along with a government official, about what those differences are. On the first Tuesday of each month, local therapy animals spend an hour at the Campus Sexual and Relationship Violence Center on the University of Arkansas campus in Fayetteville. Here, dog owners are a part of the NWA chapter of Love on a Leash, a nonprofit organization that provides an avenue for volunteers to engage in pet therapy bringing their animals to help the community de-stress. Therapy animals are required to tolerate a wide variety of experiences, but only with the need to provide support and comfort to many people. Is that therapy dogs are specifically certified and trained to go out into the public um, and spread awareness. I always tell kids when we're visiting schools that Panda's job is to spread love and happiness and create smiles. And so really they're in the community um, to do that. And then service dogs um, are really task oriented. They're trained to um, aid a specific person. And so a service dog is a dog that you're going to see in public that has signs that say do not pet because those are dogs that are working. That's Kayla Mays. She is the handler of Panda, a five-year-old Newfoundland, and the two are a certified therapy team through Love on a Leash. I had gotten Panda through rescue and wanted a dog that I would be able to take around with me and help promote rescue work and just spread love. Um, I pretty quickly noticed in going to schools that she was just really equipped to do that. Um, she loves kids. She loves getting pets and spreading smiles. And so we decided to get um, certified as a certified therapy team through Love on a Leash. and. The rest is kind of history. So she's a certified therapy dog. Um, we do visits with Love on a Leash, and she's also the therapy dog at my kids' elementary school. So we get to go there and be involved. Another organization that brings assistant animals to the community is Canine Companion. Lillianne Crawford is a volunteer puppy raiser through the national nonprofit. Um, so my job as a volunteer puppy raiser is just the initial basic training and socialization 
Um, and we have the dogs for around 16 to 18 months before they go to professional training, which is where they learn the actual tasks um, that they'll use when they're a service dog to help their person. Canine Companion specializes in providing service dogs to people with disabilities. So a service dog, um, how it's defined by the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a, a federal law um, that allows service dogs to go basically anywhere in public with their handlers. Um, and it defines them as a dog that is task trained to help assist with a disability. So they're doing specific tasks that directly relate to the person's disability to help them with that. Um, and the big thing that differentiates them from um, emotional support animals therapy, animals facility dogs, is that they have public access anywhere. Canine Companion also partners with local organizations like Paws for Justice, but because their dogs assist more than one person, they are classified as facility animals as opposed to a service animal. Susan Bradshaw is a certified facility dog handler and a program manager for Paws for Justice, and she says the dogs are trained as service animals. But because we don't have a disability, we can't call them service animals, so they're called facility animals, and they work with a handler in public settings like schools, nursing homes, hospitals, courthouses, different places like that. Bradshaw and Fawn Borden, another program manager for Pause for Justice, were both working as victim advocates in Conway's 20th Judicial District in 2014 when she heard about a prosecutor's office using dogs during the testimony of witnesses. Um, and so we started the process of getting Barb, our first dog, we had Barb for six years in our office, used her with lots of kids, used her during trials. And we really kept thinking more offices will want to get this, this kind of a dog because it's made such a huge impact on how we do our cases. From there, the two worked to create the statewide program of Paws for Justice, facilitating interactions between their dogs and their clients. Um, so we're there just to help with best practices of how to use the dog, making sure our dogs are safe, and they play all kinds of games with people. So we do those interactions where they can play the different games or, you know, give high five, shake, things like that. Um, and then uh, that's pretty much where our role ends. And we let the victim advocate do the job of the support, the services, the different things like that, keeping victims up to date on cases and how things are changing. Because the handlers from Paws for Justice are not allowed to sit with the animals while their client is testifying, service animal training was the best way to go for their goals. And sometimes they're on the stand for two and a half, three hours, um, especially if we're, and we have used our dogs helping multiple victims in a row. And um, we ended up like right at four hours. And in fact, the judge was checking the clock to make sure we hit the bathroom break when we needed to. Um, but um, just knowing that our dogs could work for up to four hours at a time um, in an environment that, you know, may not be of their choosing, but we know that they're healthy and happy and they're doing what they love to do. Um, it just made it a better choice for us to use facility dogs, knowing that they have such high standards for graduation and that we could trust the behavior we were going to get from them. 
Compared to other types of assistance animals, facility animals have the capacity to not only step away from their handler, but they are trained to follow specific commands. This is a distinction between facility animals and other assistance animals, like therapy and emotional support animals. Therapy animals were not a good fit for us just based on how long it could be that these people are on the stand with the dog. So with therapy dogs, they can only work for two hours at a time and they have to be attached to the leash of their handler. So, you know, emotional support animals, the only thing that they provide is housing access. Um, and it's just your pet that makes you feel better if you have a letter from a doctor saying that your animal makes you feel better. Um, and it allows you to stay in a place that doesn't necessarily allow pets um, and because that's your emotional support animal. A law recently passed in Arkansas to enforce the proper verification process of getting an emotional support animal. Act 268 passed in 2023 regarding emotional support animals, which was sponsored by Representative Matt Brown of Conway. He says this legislation helps to codify what qualifies an animal as an emotional support animal. Yeah, so I think uh, really there was two there was two areas that were kind of being seen out there. Um, the first problem is there were actors out there who were selling animals or selling accessories for animals, such as, and I'm sure many people have seen it, a vest on the side that says, you know, support animal on the side. Uh, they were selling these things to people, and people were purchasing them, believing that uh, by buying this animal from you or by buying this, this accessory or this certificate from you, I'm now transforming my dog into a service animal. Or the other side is, is that they were, they were kind of selling these animals as in, buy this and you have a service animal. The other area of the bill that attempted to address some of the issues we're having is um, we're seeing a big increase in people going onto the internet and using these commercial services, these commercial websites to essentially download a prescription for an emotional support animal. And uh, literally some of these websites have addresses like emotionalsupportanimals.com or, or emotionalsupportanimalletters.com. Um, and so essentially anyone with a credit card and a hundred dollars can log on and get a certificate claiming that they have been prescribed an emotional support animal. And the problems with these websites is they're based out of who knows where, and these are not, you know, legitimate actors giving out these diagnoses or things like that. So the second component of the bill simply just provides that if you are prescribing an uh, emotional support animal for someone, um, then you need to have an actual license of, you know, from the jurisdiction in which you are uh, seeing this person prescribing the animal. So um, those are the two components of the bill. Um, there are no penalties for consumers or anything like that. So that if you do, if a consumer is duped and they go onto one of these websites and purchase one of these letters, they're not, you know, they're they're not violating the law. They don't get in trouble or anything like that. Uh, the law only puts a penalty on companies that are selling animals and kind of fraudulently marking them as service animals or are selling the vests or certificates or other accessories and they're fraudulently marking those as you now, this now transform your animal into an ADA service animal. So those are the only penalties for violation of the law. Emotional support animals may live with their owners even if there is a no pet policy in place. Their primary function is to provide emotional support solely through companionship. 
They do not have the rights to be brought into public establishments and lack the training to tolerate a wide variety of experiences. People can have an emotional support animal if they need emotional, cognitive, or other similar support for a disability without training. They require a health care provider who is licensed, certified, or otherwise authorized by the law in Arkansas to provide documentation according to the Act. Having an assistance animal available in life is more than just another pet. These animals improve the well-being of all they interact with, whether it's providing joy through therapy or assistance through service. Lillian says, Whether it's picking up dropped items, helping, helping open doors, um, or for hearing dogs, helping to alert them to sounds in their environment. Um, for dogs with veterans who have PTSD, um, it's helping them getting used to, again, going out in public, um, being a comforting presence for them, um, providing deep pressure therapy. Just all of these dogs, the big thing that they do is um, providing independence um, and just creating a bond with a dog um, is huge and is so helpful. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Victoria Hernandez. Victoria Hernandez is our fall intern at Ozarks at Large. She produces her stories inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Any story you hear on Ozarks at Large, you can hear again or share with someone you think should hear them. Just go to OzarksAtLarge.com. You'll find a list of all of our stories and interviews from recent shows. You'll also find additional photos and information and links that allow for easy sharing through social media or email. That's all free. It's all at OzarksAtLarge.com. There will be a change of plans for the developing dental and veterinary schools associated with Lyon College. A proposed deal for the schools to occupy the Heifer International Facility in Little Rock fell through. Our partner, Talk Business and Politics, writes that Lyon College President Melissa, Melissa Tavener told Talk Business and Politics the school is now searching for another facility in Little Rock. Both the dental and veterinary schools are slated to start classes in the late summer or early fall of 2025. You can read more about this story at talkbusiness.net. on Ozarks at Large, dance is beginning to get its due more often in northwest Arkansas. Next month's Jingle Jam at the Cash Studios in Bentonville will further increase the spotlight on dance and movement. Thinking that, you know, the arts, the serious arts, with scare quotes around that, happen on the coast. And so we're sort of pushing back against that ideology that there is real and meaningful art that's being made here. Um, and so we wanted to draw attention to that fact. The Movement Hub is dedicated to bringing more dance to audiences and dancers throughout Northwest Arkansas. We'll learn much more in just a few minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. In 1959, the Arkansas General Assembly passed a law ordering free blacks to leave the state by the end of the year or face being enslaved. Around 800 men, women, and children were exiled, with around 200 going to Ohio. 
A dozen men and women, many from Deshaies County, who arrived in Cincinnati in early 1860, published a plea for assistance labeled An Appeal of Arkansas Exiles to Christians Throughout the World. In the appeal, they wrote, In the very depth of the winter, we have left a genial climate of sunny skies to be homeless strangers in the regions of the icy north. And now, Christians, we appeal to you, as heirs of the same heritage and children of the same father, to protest against this gross and inhuman outrage, which has been committed beneath the wing of the American eagle and in the shadow of the American church. We ask you, by the love, the pity, and the mercy in the religion of Jesus Christ, that you will raise your voices and protest against this sin. To learn more, visit EncyclopediaOfArkansas.net. The Fayetteville City Council will have a new member after yesterday's special election to fill a vacated seat. Bob Stafford received more than 65% of the votes cast in the four-person race and will be sworn in as a representative of Ward 1. The election took place after former city council member Sonia Harvey resigned her seat because she was moving out of the ward. Three people were named Friends of Children by the nonprofit Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families yesterday. The honor was bestowed on Jay Barth, Christy Irwin, and the late Senator Roy C. Bill Llewellyn. The organization gathers data and advocates for programs improving the lives of vulnerable groups in Arkansas. Jay Barth previously served as chief education officer for the city of Little Rock before his current job leading the Clinton Presidential Center. He said when he entered the position, he searched for ways to improve the traditional public school systems in Little Rock. The true bridges need to be built between our schools and our city here in Little Rock in varied ways, but especially through the community school model. You know, the materials in your program explain the community school model. Every community school is unique because every neighborhood is different and has different needs. Also honored were Christy Irwin, a leader of adoption advocacy group Project Zero, and the late Arkansas State Senator Bill Llewellyn, who died in May of this year. Siloam Springs resident Matthew Youngkin is among three new inductees into the Arkansas Aviation Hall of Fame. The induction ceremony is scheduled for tomorrow night at Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock. Yunkin is a third-generation aviator and owner of Yunkin Air Shows. Also being inducted into the Aviation Hall of Fame tomorrow night are Pickens Black Jr., the first black aviator licensed in the state, and Bob Blankenship from Lincoln County, who became a respected pilot in air shows across the country. And the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team is now 3-0 and after defeating Little Rock last night in Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, 77-36. The Trojans drop to 0-3 on the season. Next up for the Arkansas Razorbacks is a game at Arkansas State in Jonesboro Friday night. Recent research indicates consistent good sleep is important for our health. And people struggling with insomnia often try to compensate for a bad night's rest with quick remedies like an afternoon nap or going to bed early the next night. Ivan Vargas assistant professor of psychological science at the University of Arkansas, says there are better ways to address insomnia. In the long term, it's not great for insomnia because what it's doing is it's decreasing that sleep pressure when it's time to go to bed. And so so the idea behind sleep restriction therapy is to try to maximize the amount of sleep pressure at night when we're trying to go to bed with the goal of trying to make us more efficient sleepers. You can hear more about sleep research from Ivan Vargas in this month's Short Talks from the Hill a research podcast from the University of Arkansas. You can listen at KUAF.com, arkansasresearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is 
Ozarks at large. NWA Movement Hub contributes to and promotes dance throughout the region. It was co-founded by Karen Castleman and Michelle Summers. Both have a lifelong passion for dance, choreography, and dance education. The Hub supports several artistic endeavors, including the Flyover Contemporary Dance Company. NWA Movement Hub developed after Castleman led a research study about dance in Northwest Arkansas. That study revealed an unquenched passion for the art in Northwest Arkansas and definitive room for growth for both dancers and audience. A subsequent choreography lab called Dance Chance formed. Michelle Summers attended that, and the idea for NWA Movement Hub was born. Early next month, the group's inaugural Jingle Jam at the Cash Studios in Bentonville will celebrate many forms of dance. This week, Karen Castleman and Michelle Summers came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to discuss dance in our region. Summers says when she returned to Arkansas a few years ago after living in the Bay Area, she knew there would be a difference in the availability of dance. Oh, yeah. It's a totally different kind of ecosystem going on here, but has so much promise and potential. That's the most exciting part. In some ways, those bigger cities are really saturated. Like people have thought of a lot of ideas and are doing a lot of interesting things. But here is sort of ripe for the artist um, to grow and burgeon. There's um, funding. There's opportunity. um, There are spaces of people that want to see dance happening. So we're just working to tap into those communities and um, get support from the top down and from the bottom up with sort of grass roots advocacy as well. Is Jingle Jam part of this advocacy and support? Yes. Jingle Jam is a three-in-one dance party that is part fundraiser, part brand launch. I'll let Michelle tell you about that. Yeah, so the idea was is that we have some programming that's more along the nonprofit line, like um, Flyover Dance Collective, which is a contemporary dance company, which does a lot of free and low-cost performances for the community and for educational shows. So part of the fundraising is going towards that so we can continue that programming in 2024. Um, we also have the Choreography Lab, which is Dance Chance, which gives choreographers the platform to be able to produce work and have it shown and get feedback. We work a lot with audience development. So that's the fundraising part. Um, And then the brand launch part is we have started offering adult dance classes. We've heard so many times people who turn 18 and feel like they have aged out of dance, that there's no opportunities for them. Dance studios don't cater to their needs. And so we are trying to fix that gap um, and offer a really welcoming and inclusive environment for adults to come try out different dance styles or continue practicing things they learned as kids and feel like they have a safe space to do that. You mentioned people feel like they aged out. Not everyone had the opportunity, perhaps as a young person, to to enjoy dance or to participate in or to learn. Is it open to people who have adults who have no dance in their background? That's a great question. So we started initially with people who have had um, experience previously, but in January we are actually launching a beginner series in several different forms, um, ballet and hip hop and contemporary. We have classes like K-pop and Latin rhythms. So it's going to be a chance for people to try new things and different styles. And if they've never danced, it'll be accessible and welcoming to all. Who can be at Jingle Jam? Anyone. Everyone. Now, maybe not everyone envisions themselves a dancer, but who is not a holiday festivity participant, right? So this is going to be a super fun dance party uh, that morphs in genre throughout the evening. So the general admission tickets are $25. That gets you into the three-hour-long dance party that starts as... um, the vintage swing vibes, 
We'll have for each hour little pop-up performances, mini lessons, but lots of time to just enjoy the music and dance, uh, drinks, hors d'oeuvres. Um, the second hour will morph into a Latin vibe. Uh, we call it Salsa Navidad. Come get your um, Latin dance groove on. And then we'll end the evening with a live DJ house club vibe um, dance the rest of the night away. Come for your favorite genre or come for all three. And then a VIP ticket will get you into an early happy hour from 6 to 7 with a complimentary beverage and live jazz music. There is literally something for everyone. You can even come and just be a wallflower. We have games, prizes to take home with you. Um, it'll be festive and fun and the place to be. Cash Studios in Bentonville? Cash Studios in Bentonville on December 8th. Let's go back to the flyover company because I love that name. I think it refers to the fact that we're in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a sort of tongue-in-cheek in some ways, mm -hmm. um, thinking that you know the arts, the serious arts, with scare quotes around that, happen on the coast. And so we're sort of pushing back against that ideology that there is real and meaningful art that's being made here. Um, and so we wanted to draw attention to that fact um, and bring a high quality um, contemporary dance company to the region because there is not one in this area. And so last season we did um, a site specific season that was called Art Off the Walls, which was dance in the museum, where we partnered with Crystal Bridges, the Momentary 21C, um, to bring contemporary dance into those spaces and in conversation with the visual art that was there. And we had a lot of people comment that the dance combined with the visual art like led them to a new understanding of like the kinds of art that they were witnessing in that space. So it was really productive, and we actually have a residency coming up at the Momentary starting in January. It's January to April, and we will be the first local dance company in residence there at the Momentary. I remember when the University of Arkansas was putting together its soccer program, and there was a bit of a challenge. It was a little bit different because there hadn't been a lot of soccer on the youth level in Arkansas, you know, beyond like five or six years old yet. So the recruits were mostly having to come from Colorado or Texas. Is that at all similar to dance or am I just um, somewhat naive or ignorant to what dance is in the state and this region? Oh, it is similar. And I would say it's, it's even more tragically similar because plenty of young people grow up with exposure to dance, quite a few, right? There's a dance studio on every third corner or so, right? We're participating in ballet and jazz and tap and um, oftentimes in a competitive environment. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the limited opportunities for people to continue dancing, these students who decide this is a significant part of my life that I really love and enjoy are very likely to leave the state to continue pursuing dance, whether that's in a university dance program or to continue to pursue dance as a career in a variety of roles. And it's very unlikely that they'll find any reason to come back to the state of Arkansas. Um, Michelle is a perfect example of this, and, and that's one of the main thrusts behind desiring to build up the post-18-year-old dance ecosystem in Northwest Arkansas to keep people moving, but also to keep people here who love movement. Or love watching it. Or love watching it. 
Michelle, what was it about dance that kept you? Um, yeah, I grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas, so, and I always thought that I wanted to be a dancer. I was a ballet bunhead growing up, um, and I went to college in Fort Worth at TCU because they had a great dance program. Um, and then from there, I just wanted to perform, so moved to New York, did some modern dance, some more like Broadway musical theater projects, then got into the academic side. But for me, it was always this sort of like, I feel like my most whole person when I'm moving because I'm thinking and my body's being mobilized and so like really like leaning into the thinking body that we sometimes sit at desks all day long and only use a specific part of our brain in a specific way and I think the pandemic really drove that home I remember our first project for flyover everybody who participated commented on how we hadn't touched somebody who wasn't a close family member in years. And like how satisfying it was to work in a community and like the piece was about like creating home and holding space for each other and like how meaningful it was just to like hold somebody else's arm or, or give somebody else a hug. And I think we all really like desire that embodiment. Um, and so that's why I think the dance is for everybody because it's really about like connecting with other people um, and embracing your whole self. When I was a kid and I might see Fred Astaire in Royal Wedding or Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain and I thought it was poetry in motion. But I also instantly thought, well, I can never do that, which, let's face it, it was true. <laughs> You're never going to be Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire. But is there some of that intimidation? Because I'll, I'll see, you know, ballet and think, those are wonderfully gifted athletic performers. Dance isn't for me because I can't do that. Perhaps not everyone can achieve a professional level of dance that you see when you see a product, like a performance or a movie. Um, but that doesn't mean it isn't an enriching activity for any person, right? Maybe you enjoy um, a pickup basketball game at the corner with friends after work. Maybe you enjoy tossing a Frisbee back and forth, right? Physical activity uh, is a necessary part of human life. And dance, I think, has often been removed from the list of options because it feels inaccessible. We want to say everybody can move. If you have a body, you're, you can have a dancing body. I think maybe we could talk a little bit more about Dance Chance um, oh, yeah. because this is our third season doing yeah. that. We're in the middle of it. Um, we have works in progress um, that have been happening at the Medium in Springdale, and it's going to culminate next August in a season showcase at um, the Momentary. Um, and these works in progress are really cool because it invites audiences into the space to see choreographers who have been working on something, but it's not a finished product. And at the end of each piece, the um, audience gets a chance to respond. So we literally really say, what did you find meaningful? What was interesting to you? Do you have any questions for the choreographers about their process? So it's a way that the choreographers get information of like what's landing and what's working. But then the audience also feels empowered, like they have something to say about dance um, and that they can have access to making meaning out of it. So it sort of has this dual purpose of choreographer development and audience development at the same time. So our next one will be February 17th um, and April 20th at the meeting and then save the date for August 2024 for the big final showcase. Michelle Summers and Karen Castleman are the co-founders of NWA Movement Hub. The group's inaugural Jingle Jam is scheduled for December 8th. It will take place at Cash Studios in Bentonville. You can find out much more about the group at 
nwamovementhub.com. And more about the Jingle Jam event can be found there or through the group's Facebook and Instagram pages. This is Ozarks at Large. Hey, it's A. Martinez. Keeping up with the 24-7 news cycle can be a lot. Overwhelming, even. That's why at Morning Edition, we like to keep the big picture in mind. There could just be an incredible myriad and diversity of life out there in the universe. And remember to take a break sometimes. If we can laugh at the fact that we took something seriously, that's really therapeutic. Listen weekdays to Morning Edition from NPR News. Morning Edition, tomorrow morning and every weekday morning from 5 until 9. This is Reflections in Black, and I'm your host, Raven Cook. Reflections in Black is a segment dedicated to considering the legacy of black Americans in the United States and around the globe. Each episode has been carefully designed to lead you to wonder, encourage you to research, and support you in ways to use new knowledge to make a difference in our world. Our first step starts here and now with the new episode of Reflections in Black. Growing up, I spent much time at the hair salon with my mom. The salons were usually small and filled with black women under hair dryers. There were pictures of black women getting their hair done on the walls, calendars featuring black history figures, music, and a strong sense of hair products like grease, perm materials, or shampoo. As a child, I didn't love it, but now these memories make me feel nostalgic. One thing I always enjoyed was reading magazines like Essence, Ebony, and Jet, which were always available for customers to read. I remember wondering who came up with the idea for Ebony anyway, and I learned the answer in my elementary school black history class. John H. Johnson was born in Arkansas City, Arkansas in 1918 and moved to Chicago with his family in 1933. Johnson went on to study at the University of Chicago and Northwestern and gained marketing experience while selling life insurance to black customers. In 1942, Johnson used his marketing knowledge and passion for journalism to launch the Negro Digest, which was a success. In 1945, he launched Ebony, a general interest magazine, which was followed by Jet in 1951. Ebony and Jet became important chronicles of the black American experience in the 20th and 21st centuries, and Johnson Publishing Company became a powerful force in the black American community. It also set a standard in media globally. Johnson was awarded the Medal of Freedom in 1996 and continued to be celebrated until his death in 2005. Today, there are many sources where black people can share their stories, both in print and digital media. Magazines like Essence continue to target black women and provide essential journalism to highlight our experiences in America. In a time where media literacy is becoming increasingly important, it is essential to understand the role that race has played in how we see media. Ebony and Jet provided essential frameworks for black people to narrate their lives in a world where our collective voice has often been silenced. 
by learning more about black newspapers and magazines and pioneers of black photography like Moneta Sleet Jr., Gordon Parks, and others, we can increase our media literacy and gain deeper understanding of the importance of black Americans in media. I encourage you today to think about what you can do to continue building your knowledge about black journalism and efforts to increase black media awareness. Until next time, peace. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a new holiday-themed market is making its debut this weekend, Saturday actually, at the Fayetteville Town Center. It will have local creatives showing off their suggestions for gifts. It will have custom cocktails. It will have bingo, and it will have more. This week, we talked with the organizers about why they wanted something just a bit different. So much of the holidays is is geared around children and is geared around like activities with children. And one of the things that I had done a lot of markets, I had hosted a few different events that had market aspects, and I wanted to give the vendors a chance to kind of relax in what they were bringing. You know, this isn't going to be the farmer's market. You can bring things because we're all going to be adults here. And I wanted to add I wanted to get that kind of mid-century modern office Christmas party without any of the gross stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in in that way. I wanted it to feel fun and lively, but also a chance for you to get your holiday shopping done. We'll learn much more about Saturday's new holiday market called Fruitcake on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. We also learn why they called the new market Fruitcake. A conversation with the co-founders of Fruitcake on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can hear our show every weeknight at 7 on Little Rock Public Radio, KUAR. We're also available as a daily podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. And you can always hear the most recent edition of Ozarks at Large by simply asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. KUAF's Daily Word Game is a five-letter puzzle available to play right now, as in T-O-D-A-Y. Ugh. Okay. You might get the word if you listen to the Ozarks at Large A-U-D-I-O. Okay, okay. Maybe it's because I forgot to remind you that you can play the game at kuaf.com or by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large newsletter that shows up in your email, I-N-B-O-X. Well, maybe you'll have better luck than me. Go try your luck today. This is Ozarks at Large with me, Pastor Clinch Neckloth from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Pastor Neckloth, it's fall. It is fall, finally. So since it's autumn, it's time to start a new seasonal series of conversations. And you came in and said, I really want to talk about this book, which is about a role-playing game, which is based on a podcast, which has a terrifying cover. 
It really does. Yes, it does. It's a it, what is that? A moose with golden horns? It's yes. Um, the, unfortunately, people can't see the cover. Although, what you should do first is just rush to your browser mm-hmm. and look up "Old Gods of Appalachia" role playing game and look at the cover because it's it is terrifying. And what that is is it's the personification of one of the essentially like avatars of the things that are related to the old gods. All right. And when we say it's terrifying, it is not grotesque or gross. It is just a stunning image. Yeah, it's basically like a a buck deer with burning antlers. Yes. 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 So this started as a podcast. This is one of those cool like rags to riches stories. This just a couple people out of Appalachia in Virginia started this podcast about the year before the pandemic Mm -hmm. called Old Gods of Appalachia. It's an eldritch horror podcast, which is, I guess, you know, different than regular horror in the sense that it's about you're you're out of your depths. There are these forces around Mm -hmm. um, that impact the world kind of thing. And the premise is on one level really simple. These old gods were buried under the mountains in what's now Appalachia, but in an alternate Appalachia to mm-hmm. ours, you mm-hmm. know, like an alternate reality or whatever. Okay. Through the combination of the fact that the mountains were worn down, mm-hmm. and then the era in which the stories are taking place, which is turn of the century. Turn of the... 19th to the 20th, 20th century. Okay. Uh, you know, they're mining... So they're digging into the mountains, which ah. is getting closer to these forces, and they start to impact the the world. Gotcha. And the people that live there are classic people from that region. There's a, a bunch that's just evocative of that culture. But then they're also clued in to these powers, but in different ways, either controlled by them if they're truly the evil forces or have pacts with them if they're the more benevolent forces. All right. Well, this podcast blew up. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they started doing it, and every week they were like, we cannot believe how many more uh, people have joined the family. They they use this, like, language of, hello, family. And, you know, and the, the, so, so they don't break the fourth wall. They're not not a lot. No. Okay. Mm-mm. And But they when they address you in the podcast, you're part of the family. I see. And then it was all funded on Patreon, which is, you know, that mm-hmm. funding platform cr- for creatives. And it was just blowing up. And then they got bought out by or sponsored by, um, it's called Rusty Quill. It's a it's basically, it's a media production company out of the UK. Mm-hmm. So it got really big over the course of the pandemic. Just more and more people are listening to the show. And so it got this huge following, enough so that, Cipher System, which is a game, Monty Cook Games, is a gaming company that makes role-playing games. Okay. Decided to see if they could do an entire RPG based in this world. RPG being role-playing game. Role-playing game. Right. So they, you know, you can create these Kickstarters where you see whether there's enough interest to fund a project. So they said, you know, if you back this, you'll get a whole, uh, it's a big book, you know, yeah. right? It's like... Three Gorgeous. Four hundred pages, all full color, almost all glossy RPG. pages. Yeah, are like this, and it raised two point one million dollars in three days. Uh, so then they they, they designed it, and um, I'm actually friends with m- most of the people that work at uh, Monty Cook Games. That there's actually a team of them that lives in Kansas City, so I know a couple of them relatively well, and. 
Um, I know uh, Monty's partner, uh, Shauna, through uh, a variety of like, gaming settings and whatever. So she was the lead designer on it. What they'll do is they'll take that world and they'll adapt it with like all the rules you would need to create characters in there to um, to know what the monsters are that mm-hmm. you're going to be encountering. To, there's, a, there's a whole section on each one of the states because each state has a different culture. So West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, all the Appalachian states. Exactly, right. And then the, the networks that are impactful, like the railroad and you know the mining companies and all that kind of stuff. What is it? Because there are thousands of role-playing games, and there are tens of thousands of podcasts, and tens of thousands of Kickstarter or Kickstarter-esque campaigns. Uh-huh. What is it about all of this that is so inviting? You know, I've been asking myself that same thing ever since I started listening to the podcast because I'm not really a horror listener mm-hmm. or watcher. I don't, that's not my main mm-hmm. genre. Um, but somebody had recommended it to me, and then I had seen that Cypher Systems had developed this RPG. So I started listening to it, and one part of it has to be the voice of the narrator, Steve Shell. Always He's helps. Like, uh, if you, you just want to keep going back to his voice. Mm-hmm. And the other is that they're basically telling ghost stories, like the kind you would tell around a campfire. Like on some levels, I listened to the first whole season and I was like, this is the stuff we told campers when we were counselors back in the 80s before we realized that was a bad idea <laughs> right, to right. scare children like that. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are the kinds of stories we told, you know? And uh, so you, you like want to listen to those kind of stories. Everybody, almost everybody does. So what do we find in the book? Um, so the way the, the game works uh, is um, if you buy the book, it's it's especially for the person hosting the game. Mm-hmm. You know, it provides all the resources so that you can kind of know the world. Uh, but then there's also stuff in the beginning that helps people to create their characters. And if people have never played an RPG, they might really at least like this um, notion, so I'll describe it. The way Cypher System works is you create a character um, by creating a very simple sentence, I am a blank blank who blanks. Okay. And so you pick a an adjective, that's the first word, a descriptor. Um, then you pick another uh, word that is your main, uh, like, attribute. Mm-hmm. And then, then you have a at the end of it, you have a focus. And the other thing that's in here, beyond the thing that I told you about the like the descriptions of the regions and how to create the characters, is the cipher system has this thing called ciphers. It's one of my favorite things in any gaming setting. Um, you'll find things, and they have a magical power to them. But when you find them, unlike having a permanent magical power, you, if you find one, it's, it's a one-off. You find it, it might be super high-powered, but you only get to use it once, and then it's spent, and you have to find more. And so it's kind of this fun thing of, like, momentarily you have this superpower that then vanishes because the thing gets spent. Do you remember the video game Asteroids? Didn't you have a button that you could hit if you were in trouble and you could blast all Blast the... everybody. But you yeah. only had, like, one or two. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you would find ciphers like that would do things like that. Um, I did my first adventure in this setting with a group of people here two weeks ago on a Saturday night, and we had so much fun. Did they know? Were they? Did you have to bring this to them, or did they also know of it? Well, that's the thing that's so wild is people are catching on to the podcast 
Uh, I guarantee you, if people listen to this podcast now, they're all going to go out and listen to it, and you're going to get notes and be like, thanks for calling me into old gods. <laughs> but yeah, everybody that came to the game had at least listened to some of the podcasts. Okay. So they knew the setting. Or they're gamers who back Kickstarter projects, and they like had seen this one or okay. backed it. Um, and uh, you know, like our basic storyline that we started was that there's a, a a woman who owns a mine in Pennsylvania a coal at the mine. end, a coal mine, uh, no, a steel mine, a steel mine. Okay. Uh, and the railroad wants to take over the steel mine, and she doesn't want them to because she's union and they're anti-union. All right, you would suggest listen to the podcast first. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And the podcast itself is called? And beware, because you'll get hooked. Okay. Uh, old Gods of Appalachia. And is the book available retail, or would you then go online to find it's, it? It's now available retail. Okay. It, it premiered at Gen Con this summer, the mm-hmm. big gaming convention. And so that now you can buy it. But at first it was Kickstarter and then the, at the gaming convention, and now it's available. Well, thank you for telling about it, telling us about it, and thank you for bringing this book in so that I'm assured tonight I will dream about this stag with the burning antlers. Yes. That's going to be in my dreams. Old Gods of Appalachia, <laughs> Pastor Clint's Neckcloth, thank you so much. No problem. This is Ozarks at Large. Stages will be active all across the region the rest of this week. Here's a partial listing. A two-performance run of the opera Amal and the Night Visitors begins tomorrow night in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the University of Arkansas campus. The production coming from UARC Opera. The opera itself created as a commission for NBC TV in 1951. It tells the story of the three wise men on their journey to Bethlehem. Friday and Saturday, one of Roald Dahl's most beloved works, James and the Giant Peach, will be staged by actors at the Community School of the Arts in Fort Smith. There is magic. There are singing insects, sharks, dramatic tension, and a giant peach. Showtimes are Friday night at 7, then Saturday at 2 and 7. More information at csafortsmith.org. Saturday afternoon, the writers Connolly at Derry Hollow in Eureka Springs will host Six of the nine poets included in the book, Wild Muse, Ozark Nature Poetry. These readings will take place from 2 until 4 Saturday afternoon at the Writers' Colony at 515 Spring Street. There is no charge, and I'm guessing, guessing that copies of the book published by Corner Post Press will be available. The Share Show utilizes three different actors to portray the iconic performer, and the Share Show will be on the Walton Arts Center stage twice Sunday, then again Tuesday night. It's the Arkansas premiere of the program, and there is an optional themed cocktail class you can also sign up for. More information available at waltonartcenter.org. Sunday afternoon, the Renneke Trio Chamber Recital, free to the public, will take place on Giffel's Auditorium stage in Old Main on the UVA campus. The music starts at 1 Sunday afternoon. And then Sunday night, student playwrights at the University of Arkansas will be showcased through the group The Playground. There will be several 10-minute plays each of them written and directed and performed by students in the area. There is no admission charge.
on the next Science Friday, our annual Science of Cooking show. As you prep for your holiday gatherings, Dan Souza from America's Test Kitchen joins us to answer your questions about the chemical secrets of that perfectly brown turkey, fluffy mashed potatoes, and magic of mayonnaise. We answer your chemistry of cooking questions on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. You can hear Science Friday, Friday afternoon, from 1 until 3. A reminder that Brandon Weston, a writer and folklorist, will present Ozark Healing Traditions, a hidden art, tonight, beginning at 6.30, at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History, KUAF, a co-sponsor of this presentation. The talk is part of Shiloh Museum's Not Strictly History series. Tonight's event is free, and you have the option. You can go and hear him speak in person, or you can watch it virtually. The in-person attendance tonight, however, is limited limited to the first 100 people. Registration is required. You can take care of all of that at shilohmuseum.org. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors to our program today included Victoria Hernandez, Raven Cook, Mark Christ, and Pastor Clint Schnecklon. Additional work on today's show provided by Matthew Moore. Additional reporting for today's show came to us from the hardworking news staff at Little Rock Public Radio, KUAR. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's most recent solo CD featuring his guitar playing is called Still Here. You can find out more about that record and more about Daryl wherever you find out more about records and musicians online. We're back with you tomorrow. We'll have a new edition of Sound Perimeter from Leo Uribe. Also, a business update from the folks at Talk Business and Politics with the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. You can follow us online at ozarksatlarge.com. You can also find out more about us at kuaf.com. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in video production, plus access to equipment and broadcast channels to share your videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County, Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYpublic.tv for more information.